Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, my friends all around the world. I'm really pleased today because I have a couple of my friends here in studio with me today. And I think this is going to be a great show for everyone to listen to because I wanted to talk about how uh, Alzheimer's or various dementias happen and how they feel to us when they're just beginning and how we recognize the symptoms and so on when this is all new to us. So welcome, David and Jenny Schroeder, to the studio today. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, Jill. Glad to have you here. So what I want to start with is just telling my listeners a little bit about yourselves. So, Jenny, ladies first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where did you grow up, and uh, what did you do for a living? I was born and raised in rural Montana. Um, Left Montana as soon as I graduated from college. Moved to California for two years, and then moved to Colorado and have been here since then. Um, I was trained as a teacher. I was a teacher for many years and then went into administration and was an administrator, middle school principal, for a few years and then retired from teaching. Since that time, I've been involved with adult literacy in um, where I previously lived, so I sort of stayed around the education realm. Um, We moved to this area um, three years ago. Uh, no, 2018. 2018. We moved. We had lived over on the western slope of Colorado, moved back to the Front Range. We have both have family here, particularly in Colorado Springs. Okay. And since that time, I've done a little bit of volunteer work at, the, at a library at one point. Since we have made this more, more recent move, I have yet to find something that I'm going to continue to do. I, I feel like I need to do something once a week that's not a, at my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Thank you. And David, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was born in uh, western Colorado. Uh, ended up uh, following my father's footsteps into the Army, uh, but uh, found out that they needed doctors more than they needed second lieutenants. Uh, in Vietnam, and so I was fortunate enough to be able to go to medical school and uh, finished an Army career as a doctor and then had private practice for a while. Okay. And uh, that's basically my background. <laughs> and what did you do in private practice? Private practice, I was a urologist. Okay. All right. Well, how did the two of you meet? <laughs> this is Jim's By mistake. Story. Yeah, by mistake, no. <laughs> um I play, have played tennis through the years and belong to a tennis club in Colorado Springs. And every once in a while, they have this sort of uh, tournament where you're partnered with somebody at your playing ability. And it's you play all sorts of people. It's, it's just kind of a, 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 a casual competition. And I was uh, scheduled to play with actually one of the owners of the club. 
And so I show up for the first match, and that wasn't who made the scene. Dave made the scene because apparently the, <laughs> apparently the um, other guy had gotten ill, and so Dave made the scene as as the substitute. So we we played tennis for a, a few years before anything else. We we were tennis doubles partners. Okay, Dave, did it take you a while to? Decides you were crazy about her, or what happened there? Well, <laughs> she didn't give me a choice. <laughs> she she took a job on the at Western Slope, and we lived on the Front Range. And uh, so I said, well, maybe we should get married. So we did. <laughs> Do you remember your first date? Uh, vaguely. Yeah, I can't remember. I know that you. We, I think I took you out to the to the. The, the boonies southeast of, of uh, Colorado Springs, and we watched the Percy Media yes, shower. That's right. Oh, oh yeah. wow. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when somebody said, What did you do? Well, you, well we just drove out into the boonies. <laughs> well, that works. And I bet that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, what brought you back over to the Denver area? We uh, had family on the front range and we both started noticing that uh, we probably would be uh, it would be useful for us to have access to better medical care than there is available on the western slope. Okay and is that because you started noticing some memory loss or just because you wanted to have better medical care? It was both. Both. Okay Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, it is kind of nice to be closer to family. Mm-hmm. Too. That's a long way. That was a long ways away for them to visit or for us to come over. It's not that easy to drive across the mountains when mm-hmm. it's snowing or raining or you know yeah. <laughs> avalanches, lo- landslides, mm-hmm. or whatever they are. Right. So I'm curious when you first started noticing memory loss. Both of you have had a diagnosis over the last couple of years of having short-term memory loss. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if it was mild cognitive impairment or if you feel like it was early stage, but but you've had that diagnosis. Um, what were some of the first signs that you noticed in, in in yourselves or each other? In myself, I got lost once in the woods, in woods that I knew very well, and uh, ended up about half a mile away from where I thought I was going to end up when I came out of the woods. That must have been scary. It was uh not particularly scary because I knew I could find my way. I knew where the Colorado River was, and I could right. always find that. But, uh, you know, I was on trails that, that I'd been on many, many times before and just uh, got misoriented. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about you, Jenny? Well, one of the things, if you're a, a teacher, and particularly at middle school, we had a team of like 120 kids. And I used to be able to remember 120 kids' names within a week. Wow. Uh, so because if they were in your classroom, and of course they sat in certain places and it was easy to do. I think one of the first things was I, I couldn't remember people's names. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I thought, well, I'm just out of practice. I haven't done this for a long time. But I, that's, that's not really the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and forgetting little things, which I think we all do during our life, but it becomes more pronounced. Right. Anything else that was going on? Because I think... My listeners often wonder, is this starting for me? Mm-hmm. You know, did you did you have issues of maybe um, missing the street you were supposed to turn on, going to the grocery store and forgetting a lot of things? 
where do you where 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 do you think you maybe uncovered or uh, could see some of those little things that people might wonder about? I saw that in Ginny probably starting around 2016, where uh, when she was driving, occasionally she'd make uh, wrong turns in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty hard to do. So where we lived before, mm-hmm. and. Um, I've, what I noticed in myself was was uh, having to struggle to come up with words. Sometimes I would just blank on words that that uh, you know I knew perfectly well and uh, would not be able to come up with them until quite some time later. Yeah. I think one of the things that happens is that, for example, with you know not knowing directions and things like that, part of you has done that all of your life. Right. The issue is. It becomes a major issue mm-hmm. that that it it becomes very frequent. It becomes something that you really have to pay attention to. Whereas before, it was just oh, I made the wrong turn. Kind right, of thing. and so, it becomes magnified. Yeah, mm-hmm. David, uh, back to your not finding words. I think that happens to a lot of us, and we just think, well, that's not a big deal. Did it? Did they come? You said they came back to you later. Did you start realizing that they just weren't coming back as fast as they used to or? I noticed that they weren't coming back as fast as they used to and that um, it was happening more frequently. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And w- eventually we were connected mm-hmm. and I'm, I might have been through the University of Colorado Hospital. That's exactly where it was. So we came to one of the caretaker. We were considering ourselves as co-caretakers <laughs> at, at the point, and you were given your, your uh, monthly uh, um, presentation. presentation, yeah, your presentation that uh, you continue to do and that we continue to come to uh, on, right. on Zoom. Right. And I'm really glad that you did that because uh, getting to know you has been really wonderful. You're just really dynamic and friendly, kind people, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you. And it's been uh, eye-opening for me and enlightening for me. And when I can meet people who are doing really well, you're in the beginning stages of your memory loss, um, it helps me to be able to convey to listeners that it does not have to be so scary. You have each other. Um, you know that this is going relatively slow, and you both really function quite well. Mm-hmm. Fair statement? Fair. Fair. Yeah. So uh, when we first met, I, you'd ask me to come to your home to provide an assessment. An in-home assessment, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did that, and then uh, that's when you uh, brought up the um, uh, possibility of being in a study. Right, Dr. Potter's leukine study. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I first met you, you had just moved into a pretty new home for yourselves in Aurora. Yes, yes. Right? And a very nice home at that, yes. I might add. Uh, really beautiful. And as we talked, Ginny, uh, at that point, you kind of told me a little bit about your mom and mm-hmm. your life history and, and even a couple of things that were bothering you, like m- 
uh, recipes that you used to be able to just do right off the mm -hmm. top of your head. Uh, now you really had to look and make sure and kind of check them off that you added the different things that you were uh, needing to add and so on and so forth. Do you remember that first assessment? Yeah, vaguely. Um, I think it's it, – you have – Personally, you think, oh well, it wasn't a, it isn't a big deal. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, I, right. and I mean that, not to be uh, sort of dismissive of it, but it's it's something that you think, oh, big deal, kind of thing. But right. as it repeats itself more frequently, it's it's not it's more than just a, a blow off kind of a thing that you right not being able to follow a recipe, yeah, yeah, yeah or mm -hmm. do it on your own, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the two of you were doing really pretty extraordinarily well. But uh, as we talked, your concerns became more of what if this progresses and, and we're in an area where we don't know anybody and we're not not necessarily liking the area we're in because it didn't have mature trees. It didn't have some of the things that you enjoyed in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but at that point, you hadn't told your kids you were having any problems. Either, as I remember. I think my kids probably recognized it, though. Yeah. Well, and when I did want, at one point mention it to my one son, he said, ah, you know, aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. uh, and I think that he and his brother had had conversations. Yeah. So they weren't so surprised? Well, not taken ba aback, like, oh, my goodness, I hadn't noticed that or something like that. They, they had recognized it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they recognized it as the beginnings of Alzheimer's, or but it just was recognized as mom didn't remember this, mom didn't remember that kind of thing. Right. How about you, David? Uh, it's hard to tell with my kids because they have uh, pretty much considered me uh, the butt of their jokes. Oh. <laughs> so when we get together, uh, any slip-ups like that get get uh, pounced upon. Right. And uh, But I think that they noticed they weren't surprised when uh, we moved to where we moved now for, mm -hmm. for the memory care. So what caused that was I came back a year later after you'd been taking my classes. And uh, the UCH classes is what they're talking about. University of Colorado Hospital uh, presents my classes and I facilitate them and I teach families how to recognize these different diagnoses and also how to – communicate better and well and more effectively with the people that they are trying to help. <laughs> and with the two of you, you were just helping each other because you love each other, which is really good. Uh, but you were attending those classes. And so I came back for a second assessment. And at that point, we had a really serious conversation about where you lived and maybe finding a place where you didn't have quite as much homeowner responsibility because things fall apart on your house, right? And we're constantly fixing the water heater, we're fixing this or that, or we have to have windows replaced or whatever it is. But not only that, but maybe being in an area that you felt fit your needs a little bit better. David, you like photography, Jenny, you like to walk, and this area that you were in didn't really provide as much um, of that enjoyment as you wanted. Mm -hmm. So we talked about maybe you moving to a place where you could have a cottage-style place, but it has a continuum of care on this uh, retirement property, and you made the big decision to move. It was a very good decision to make, too. It uh, has certainly relieved a lot of stress. 
and uh, we miss a few of the friends from uh, our previous place, but uh, the ones that matter the most, we still keep in touch with uh, every couple of weeks. Um, we go to each other's houses right, um, back and forth and have a very good time with them, and we've made a lot more friends where we are now. Um, it's, uh, it's a nicer place for us to be in, in our stage right now. Yeah. Nice. Jenny, at first you didn't really want to move. Well, no, I liked the location as much as anything. I mean, it was mm-hmm. convenient to all sorts of things. Um, and this one is, is you know, a, a little bit away, but in some ways that's kind of an advantage. You're not in the big hubbub of the, of the metropolitan area. Um, and it's been really quite conducive to learning everybody's name and knowing everybody and that kind of thing, more so than where we live where we were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, there um, are some activities. I'm still kind of assessing what I might like to pursue there. Um, so, you know, it, it uh, actually is a, a wonderful walking community. You can go for miles without, you know, without a lot of trouble. There's, there's a lot of advantages to it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're close to a lot of things. Right. One of the reasons I asked you to consider moving was so that you would have time to learn your new area. Yeah. And you took your time moving over, right? So mm-hmm. you were able to take a, a couple of weeks to move your items over, sell your house, all of that. What was that like, having to put your house on the market, move to a significantly smaller home? What was the process like? <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it is... I that had been at home only for a few years. Right. It was much more difficult to leave our home that we'd lived in, in on the western slope. That oh, was the good more point. Difficult. So this move was was not anything that was big a big trauma or anything like that because it was just sort of a step that we needed to take, mm-hmm. as opposed to leaving a lot of friends and a lot of things that we like to do, that were on the western slope. Yeah, I imagine that it's much easier. Uh, leaving items than it is friends. But you had some family heirlooms and things like that that may not fit into your new place, right? And the worry about maybe selling your house. But did you sell your house pretty quick? Uh, It it sold relatively quickly. It was not a – we've moved enough times that uh, selling the house is just, you know, sign the papers and get it over with. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so – you got moved, and now you've got new neighbors, and things seem to be going really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's a, we, we still have a lot of things to get rid of. We can't fit <laughs> anything into the garage yet. Any car. We <laughs> no, can't fit a car. car. We have right. lots of other things in there. Oh. <laughs> so you have to park outside? We park outside, yes. <laughs> Which well, is obviously true with the other neighbors, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. Well, we're going to take a short break and listen to a message from our sponsor, Carillon at Bellevue Station. And we'll come back with Ginny and David and continue our conversation. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate, caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. 
a beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, we are back with Jenny and David Schroeder, and I'm so happy to have you both here because I think it's going to be really enlightening for people as you talk about, you know, how you're living with your diagnosis and that you are two very super capable people who I do not see as a diagnosis. I see you as people. That can get lost in the shuffle sometimes when we tell people about the diagnosis, right? So as you moved into uh, Springwood Retirement Campus, have you shared this with anybody? Oh, you mean? Shared with You mean our diagnosis? Or, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh. With your new neighbors? neighbors? Yes, there were. Oh, yeah. There it's were. Not oh. anything unusual there. <laughs> it's not, it's not may, out of, a, of the norm. They may have it too, yeah. right? <laughs> I, and I don't know that. But it's, you know, it's, you can see physically why some people are there. But other than that, you don't have any idea. Right, yeah. right. So, David, uh, one of the reasons why I brought you to Springwood was because you have a love of nature. You love photography. So has that enhanced at all? Do you have more things to take pictures of? And and what do you like to take pictures of? Well, I like wildlife photography. And so it puts us closer to uh, Rocky Mountain Arsenal, which is where I used to do most of my uh, wildlife photography. I'd come over actually from the western slope to take pictures of the animals there because they're not hunted. So they're they're fairly amenable to uh, being photographed. And I had some really good pictures there, but now we're just 30 minutes away, right. <laughs> which makes it very good. But right in our neighborhood, um, within uh, a fair walking distance, uh, we have found um, lots of owls, um, great horned owls. And uh, so we were able to follow the chicks as they grew oh. to fledging. And so I have pictures of them all the way uh, through like that. And in that process, we've uh, met other people who knew about other owls. So we were following, I think, six different nests this this spring. Oh, that's uh, exciting. It was. It was very good. And uh, there we have a pond uh, there at Springwood. So uh, there were egrets, uh, cormorants, ducks, and, and geese, of course. And uh, it's it's been just really nice. I've gotten some really nice shots. Yes, you have. I have mm-hmm. seen some. Of them. <laughs> and they're hanging on your walls in your new cottage. <laughs> I hope yes. so anyway. Yeah, well, a lot of them are there. And then there's some in my office, but it's hard to see from the junk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to move from a big house into like an 1,800-square-foot place. 1,100-square-foot. 1, oh, 1,100. Oh, well, that's even harder. No wonder your garage is full, right? Yes. Yeah. And Jenny, you like to walk. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and one of the things I wanted for you is this is on 15 acres. It is. It's and so area. you have plenty of area mm-hmm. to walk around, but you've got Ralston Creek right there, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And I was hopeful that you could really learn this new area and know exactly where you were, how oh, far yeah. you could walk, mm-hmm. your GPS, all of that, um, and really make it work for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now. So I, you, yeah, I have a couple of routes that I do that I uh, because mm-hmm. I've measured them and I I like to walk between two and three miles a day, and so you know I, it's it is um, not as it's more urban than I would like it to be. Um, I'd like to be able to walk in some place that wasn't that didn't have buildings all around, mm-hmm. and there are a couple of places I, you can kind of get away from it, but not not like I would. Ideally prefer, but I walk my two and a half, three miles a day and, mm-hmm. you know, and get my exercise and that turns out to be fine. Does the creek walk along an urban area? Does that bother you or is it more? Uh, no, not really. It's, well, it's, first of all, isn't much of a creek. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, though, there's not a whole lot of water. No. Right. Um, I don't know. What do you, is it? It's it's a riparian area. It's got a lot of uh, bike and, and walking traffic, but uh, occasionally there's such things. There was a moose on it a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, bobcat. We haven't seen them yet. I keep hoping. Yeah. Because right? that's pretty unusual. There was a, a um, eastern screech owl that uh, I never met up with, but I saw pictures other people took of it. It was right there at Indiana mm-hmm. Avenue on, on the Ralston Creek Trail. Yeah. It's a... Um, a good walking area. It's it's got lots of trees, and we're talking old, big, big right. trees, and that just is conducive to all sorts of of uh, nesting birds. Mature landscaping was a big deal yes, in this whole true. thing, right? Yes, yeah. 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 So, how do you think your day to day process goes right now? Are you comfortable? Are you happy? Are you having any issues? We have uh, developed some routines, and, and it really is pretty, pretty comfortable and, and a fun way to live. Can yeah. you share some? Sure. Uh, we start out. Uh, Jenny always asks me what I want for breakfast, and it's always, <laughs> it's always oatmeal. <laughs> Occasionally, I'll, I'll uh, succumb and say, "Yeah, let's have an egg," but uh, usually, it's oatmeal. Okay. And uh, then we. Um, uh, do little chores around the house, uh, go to the store if we need to, um, take a walk. Jenny usually takes a walk in the morning. Sometimes I accompany her. Sometimes I don't. Um, we just joined a fitness uh, club, and so we are going there every other day approximately. Okay. Um, and at about 3 o'clock every day, we play a set of three games of cribbage, best of three, to see who wins. <laughs> who's, the, who's the better player? Well, uh, he's I, played all of his life. <laughs> but, but Jenny's doing well with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Jenny, how about you? What are some routines that you do to remind yourself of of anything you have to do throughout the day? What What's well, some advice maybe you Well, I have a whiteboard on the fridge. Nice. Which And, you know, that is... Obviously, something you really need as you get to be older. On the other hand, I did that when I had the kids and working and all that kind of thing that you you write things down. And I used to say to my kids, if it doesn't appear here, it doesn't exist. (laughs) You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. So, um, you know, I I still enjoy cooking. I still enjoy kind of taking care of a house. If I could, I would have more 
geraniums that I do out in front of the house right now kind of thing. Um, but I do enjoy my walking. And um, I've, been, I've been reading some, not as much as I should be, because I've got all this time. And for years, I thought, oh, I wish I had time to read this, that, and the other thing. And I'm, I'm not doing that as much as I should. I would like to join, at one point, a book club or something like that that would mm-hmm. force me then to read some things that are not probably real familiar to me. What's stopping you from reading? Oh, not stopping. Oh, just doing other just stuff. Just being yeah. here, there, and everywhere? Yeah, well, everywhere, yeah. And it's, um, you know... You, you get busy doing something, and then you think, oh, I'm not, you know, and I I can't stay up late at night and read like I used to either. I can't either. I fall asleep if I read. <laughs> so that's, that, that, that's gone. <laughs> I fall asleep reading a People mm-hmm. magazine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't work for me, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever considered using, like, audio books or something when you're walking, you know, with headphones yeah, on? I never thought about that. I do see people with it all the time when yeah. I'm walking, that kind of thing. Because you're not technically reading, yeah. you're listening, uh, yeah. but you can, you know, hear it's a story while like you're that. on a good two-mile walk. And I keep looking, uh, oh, I don't know, about three or four blocks from us is a, um, is, there's a preschool in the building and then there's a middle school in the building. Oh. And I keep thinking, I'm going to walk over there and say, look, I worked at it for 20 years as a teacher and administrator. Give me something to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll read to the kids or I'll do whatever. Well, school's out now, and so I, I'm going to have to wait till fall to do that. But it's right across there, and all I have to do is walk over and say, you know, if somebody's struggling with reading or something, let me give them some help or something. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. I think that would be so you know, awesome for you. Yeah. Yeah, because so it's, it's, it's just right there. there. And either that or I need to get to the library and tell them I've had a lot of experience with adult literacy, too, and, mm-hmm. and do that. And I miss – I kind of miss – being out to do something other than what you do around the house kind of thing. Right. You know, you know that I think that's super important to just be as active as you can be, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do new things. That's not necessarily new to you, but it's new school to you, yeah. different age yeah. of children. Well, and it's what you know how to do. And I think that's important, right. too, that you you figure out, you know, things that you were good at, you're still should be good, want to be good at. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, have you made friends? We have made lots of friends. <laughs> we have uh, about eight cottages, uh, more circle. than that because they're duplexes, uh, uh, in our little uh, West Cottages area. And so every Wednesday at 4 o'clock, we get together at the gazebo and, and have just a big bull session. <laughs> try to talk about all the bad things at the place and how we would fix them and what we would try to do. We're trying to get uh, some shades at the gazebo because the hot afternoon sun's a little bit much, and so that's the process to get get the uh, powers that be to to let us do that. Right. Well, my understanding is there's a new executive director, so maybe you can. Well, we're uh, ended up going through the activities director, who's also new. Oh. And uh, he has not been real responsive, so I'll, I'll have to, you know, rattle his cage a little bit <laughs> yeah. more frequently. Yeah. And it is, it is, you know, like most senior facilities are is is um, more populated by women than men, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so you know, there's a lot of single women in the right, yeah. right. So, just backing up a little bit, so Jenny. You have had some of this in your family. You mean the dementia? The dementia. Yeah. Well, and it isn't just dementia. It, there's other mental illness in the family, too. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I come come with a, a, a fairly 
good picture of of things that that happen. Right, right. And so speaking of your mom and your grandmother, mm-hmm. and although back in the day we just didn't always recognize things for what they were. No, no. And yet my other grandmother, my father's mother, is, it was quite a, a interesting woman. She had been a cook in logging camps in Montana, where I'm from, and then cooked. And she had to be well into her 80s when she was still employed. Wow. Still cooking, and she was still cooking Thanksgiving dinner for all of us in her 80s. <laughs> um, and I wasn't, obviously, in Montana when she passed away, but, you know, she lived a long life and never had the issues that that we fear so much. You know, she's mm-hmm. fine. She just sort of did what she did until she died kind of thing. Right. Too. So, and I don't, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about my father's health history. He drugged when he was young. Okay. Talk about your mom for a minute. Well, she was, uh, in some ways, rather unusual for a woman who was, in her, you know, at her age. She had gone to college in what they called at that time a normal school, which was two years of college, mm. which made you qualified then to be a teacher. Okay. And so, so by the time she was 20 years old, she was out teaching and at quite a number, and at a few really rural, um, small schools. Mm-hmm. Ended up in an, a small town, uh, railroad town in Montana, um, teaching, and that's where she met my father. Okay. And then she continued. She she worked all of her days. She never, runs I never in, runs yeah, in the family. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> well, and there was you know financially that was necessary. My dad right. died when I was in sixth grade. So oh, she you know, okay. continued. Um, so, but she had what was real common in her family, some really significant mental problems that got worse as she got older. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she she did spend quite a bit of time in a nursing home before she she passed away. But she lived to be 92, so she had lived a good life right? kind of thing. Well, so. the apple didn't fall far from the tree in the teaching realm, did yeah, it? No. Well, you know, it, of course, I'm old enough that when you went off to college, you know, there were fewer choices, not choices, but it was what was expected of you was, mm-hmm. you know, teaching or those kinds of things, too. Right. Not that I think I would have chosen anything else, but I think I knew a number of, of uh, girls that would have. Right. Kind of thing, right. Kind of so I, you know, I eventually became an administrator, a principal, school principal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I had to do it over again, I would have done that for a while. And then it, towards the end, I would have gone back to teaching just to kind of get out of the administration part and back to what I like to do the best. Did you miss the hands-on with the students? Yeah, well, you do. You miss what you get to do, you mm-hmm. know, because what you deal with a lot of times were our problems and statistics and money and those kinds of things. (laughs) Right. You know, my husband with police work, he's moved up the ladder, and so he's pretty far removed from the day-to-day in a car. Mm -hmm. Kind of similar thing. Yeah. I would think. Need to get back to it sometime just to see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. But I I did do quite a bit of work with adult literacy after I retired, which was quite rewarding work because you've got a student who really wants to be there and do what you want them to do. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and I worked, a, you know, volunteered a little bit at the library when we lived down by Parker, and I have yet to find something where we are now that kind of fits where I am. I just need to walk into the middle school over there and say, "Give me something to do." I'm going to challenge you to do that. Yeah. By this, <laughs> well, and of course now is the wrong time of the year. I need to, get, I know. you know, I'll have but to wait you know, school September starts in a month from now. Yeah, 
Because yeah. we're already in July. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and David, because you uh, were a physician, a urologist, we talked a lot about getting you involved in Dr. Potter's study, both of you, right? Doc- the yes. Ukine study. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so um, – did I say you kind? No, Luke, it's Luke Luke kind. Kind study. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know what we mean. Yeah, you know why I have this show, right? <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, I connected you with Dr. Potter, and that's been a slow process. Uh, you, but you have been uh, very forward and moving in trying to get signed up for the study and to get into the study. And one of the reasons why studies take so long is money, just like, you know, we were talking about with with teaching. And uh, at this point, he has to have 400 people in a new study, and he needs $4 million to get that done. And he's been trying to raise money for it. But the study itself, why would you want to be in a study? What's your hope? Well, uh, our hope is that... uh we can uh, be part of something that, that uh, starts to lead to a, a, a treatment or possibly even a cure for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a similar sort of thing with COVID in that uh, we joined a study uh, looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine. And so Jenny got the – she ended up uh, in a – we were in a double-blinded study. And mm-hmm. so she ended up getting the vaccine and I ended up getting the placebo. Oh, Wow. <laughs> But uh, um, we then ended up uh, going to the Pfizer because AstraZeneca was never approved for use in the U.S. Okay. Although it was approved in other places in the world. But it just seems like the thing to do if you have the opportunity to be in a study for cancer or Alzheimer's or whatever to to do that. And um, so I would hope that, um, you know, going into uh, Dr. Potter's study that, uh, yeah, I'd like to be – one who gets leukine or uh, and and just see because I'm willing to take that risk. Well, I think it's your turn. We're going to take a short break and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, 
we are back, and I have David and Jenny Schroeder in the studio with me. And we were just talking about Dr. Huntington Potter, who is the director of the Rocky Mountain Research Center for Dementia. And he has a leukine study that we, I personally, feel could be the cure. He's had really great results from the first segment of the study. Actually, I take it back. It's the second segment because the first one is all about can you make some type of a uh, drug that is safe, that follows all of the criteria for health and safety through the international research body. And there's a lot that has to be done on that end before you can even start your study. That's phase one. Then phase two, uh, they brought this study forth with 40 people. And so what he was able to do was show that with the leukine drug, the compound that they had created, that has some very technical letters, but if you want more information about that, go to my last show with Dr. Huntington Potter, and he can explain it all to you. Just go on my website, put in the search bar on the blog and podcast, Dr. Huntington Potter, and any show I had with him will come up, and we always talk about this study that he has. So at any rate, listeners, that's how you do that. But uh, getting back to it, so he was able to show that it actually slowed the progression of the disease, and to a certain degree, it was repairing the brain. And the leukine drug itself is one that has been used for bone cancer in years past. And they kind of stumbled upon it when they gave this drug to one of their really old mice that they've had in their study for a long, long time. And after three weeks of giving this mouse not only a cancer drug because it had cancer, but they had also given it Alzheimer's. They had given it an extraordinary amount of beta amyloid into its brain, so it had Alzheimer's. It, in three uh, shots, three intravenous shots for this mouse, removed all the cancer and removed all the Alzheimer's. Hmm. And so that's where the study hmm. took off and started to gain some momentum in the research world, which is why I suggested it to you. My hope is always that we leave something for the future, but I actually feel like if Dr. Potter can get this off the ground and what the international research body wanted them to do, David, was um, – make it so that he could sustain this longer than six months. And then the other piece was they need to bring the price down so it's not $100,000 for a person to get the actual medication. So there's a couple of pieces to this that make it complicated beyond belief, right? But for the two of you, you want to be a part of this. Now that I've explained it in depth a little bit more for you, your thoughts? Even more want to be in it. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds, you know, whether or not this turns out to be a huge success is not important. I mean, it, it is important. But what I'm saying is that as long as people are kind of going along this path towards the research that needs to be done that's going to be successful, that's what 
is good to be a part of. I agree, because if we get stagnant and don't end up with anything... Or just assume that it's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. If there's nothing on the horizon, we have no hope. Yeah. But in this particular case, I think we have reason to have a lot of hope. And so it's been painfully slow for you, which is is hard. Right? Yeah. Well, try not to think about it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you are uh, continuing to email them and say, hey, where are we in all of this? And, you know, uh, I wish that they were more conversive with you. But uh, this might explain to you why they are – they have to put the steps together. So the next phase of it, he needs 400 people. He needed $100,000 per person, which adds up to $4 million. And uh, I think he is uh, that close to having that now. So now they have to figure out the next phase of uh, who gets the blind study, getting people enrolled. He has to get 400 people enrolled. And the trick is that they have to get people who are in a very early stage like you are, mm-hmm. Right. So, and if they can't get, they might have had people signed up two years ago that now are further along. So now they have to get people to replace them. You two will still be eligible easily for another two years, I hope, or better. Um, But I'm hoping that he can get this moving again. And I feel like they're getting closer, but we're going to have to get some more information. Um, How is, how is that knowing that there's something there that could be really big and not being able to grab it yet. Uh, actually, I, I understand enough about the process, I guess, that uh, I'm not too worried about it. it it'll happen whenever it happens. And um, they actually changed the protocol some. I mean, when they first came out with the protocol that they um, presented to us, we started having second thoughts because it would have been extremely difficult. And now they've set it up so instead of going into the hospital every day to get an injection. Um, the caretaker will be able to give the injections all except once a week. And so that's a very doable sort of thing. Okay. And going in every day would have been extremely taxing and uh, actually off-putting, I think, that we probably would have decided not to go. So that might have been some of the things that were going on that was delaying it a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Oh, absolutely. I would think people don't have that kind of patience nor time, some of them either. You know? Right. What else do you have to do? Are, are, w- did they talk to you about maybe doing um, a spinal fluid draw? Did they talk about an MRI CAT scan or PET scan? Right, all of those. Okay. And um, they do use the Pittsburgh B compound where they can shoot the dye into the brain and see where the Alzheimer's is in your brain. Are you aware of that? Not aware of that at all, no. They actually have two people on the campus at UCH that can make this radioactive dye that they can shoot into your brain and see it in a live person. Oh, that's... Okay, so that's not the PET scan or that is the PET scan? It has to be done with the PET scan. With the PET, okay, Mm gotcha. But you get that done through the process. Right, right. Okay. Um, Does any of that scare you or worry you or no <laughs> no you're no I, I you know i i suppose there's reason to be scared of something or something like that but i'm not why would you dwell on that right when there's something that potentially has the you know could help why right why would you dwell on what was might go wrong it's 
sort of the way you live your life. You don't dwell on something that goes wrong all the well, time. Well, even but. changing the trajectory of thinking this could help somebody else, else in yes. the future generations oh, yeah. to maybe being able to help you, that gets me so excited I can't stand it. Well, and when you think about <laughs> When you think about it, I mean, if if I have Alzheimer's, chances are my my boys could, my children could have it right. too. And the fact that there could be something to keep them from from doing that is is quite encouraging. Right. Yeah. It's just it's so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. You know. And as a physician, you've you've you probably encountered things, David, you know, over the years that just feel like sometimes are painfully slow to change procedures and processes and things like that. And I don't know if you have or not. Have you? Uh, some things, yes, but it seems like it's speeding up now. When I compare what I did in urology to what they're doing in urology now, it's just amazing how far and how fast they've come. Right. Well, I'm going to be really interested once you get in on this study and it starts rolling, because it will. There's no stopping this train. Dr. Potter wants to find a cure before he retires. (laughs) And I have uh, personally invested an enormous amount of time in trying to find people to donate to his study and to get this off the ground. I've held fundraisers in my backyard every summer for you know, 12 years uh, trying to raise money for uh, this research and everything. So I'm really proud of you and and happy that both of you were even interested in doing this. And I was glad I connected mm-hmm. you. So I hope we have a chance to come back and talk about it when you're in the actually in the process of the study. Oh, we'll do that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what else have we to do? I'm not, I'm not being, I don't want to be funny, but I mean, seriously, why would you not think about Particularly when you think about your children, why would you not think about doing something like that? Well, I think there's just a lot of people that are really, really uh, concerned about – they get worried about having spinal fluid taken. Or s- suspicious about, yeah. That it's going to hurt or it's going to damage you in some way, uh, things like that. The neurobehavioral exams can be exhausting, you know, I we've done it with my family because we're in a familial study out of Washington University, St. Louis. I would much rather be a part of the cure than just praying for a oh, while. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? Well, or hoping that somebody else finds it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, or hoping someone else finds it. Yeah. That's exactly right. So what would you think are, or what would you say are some of the biggest surprises or things that you have really enjoyed about setting yourself up for success right now. I think that's kind of what you did. You set yourself up for success by moving into a new place that could fit your needs and let you be comfortable for the rest of your years. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the really good things or big surprises that maybe you didn't see coming when you made that move? We made the move a lot sooner than we were expecting to. That's the one thing that really surprised me is how how much sooner we did it than than we were thinking we were going to do. And I think it was very fortunate that we ran into you (laughs) and that you uh, helped us uh, along the way. Well, I have to tell you, and I want to hear what you have to say too, Jenny, but uh, I have to tell you, a month after you'd moved, I was half afraid to call you because I was afraid that you'd be mad at me. <laughs> if you didn't like it, you'd say, "What did you do?" <laughs> well, and you know, when you look at where you are now, you look back at where 
for example, my mother was or somebody was who didn't make any kind of plans or didn't, was, didn't, didn't want anybody to interfere with, with what they wanted to do. And you saw, I mean, eventually, I think I already said this, we had to remove my mother from her home, you know, not because she wanted to go, but because she had to go. Right. And I, that was with me in aging period, that it was not going to be that way. And then I had a grandmother who laid in bed for years, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, you get to have some control over what the rest of your life is going to be. And what a great example you're setting for your kids. Mm -hmm. Because you wouldn't believe how many families I work with who do have to have somebody move kicking and screaming Mm -hmm. and angry about it, right? And they're seeing you be proactive, you know, but that was a huge change. And that's why I asked the question, what were some of the surprises that you had? Were you surprised to um, maybe enjoy this area so much being so close to Rocky Flats to take pictures? Were you surprised you could meet new friends? Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm surprised, surprised in some ways with just the living conditions. You know, we downsized a huge amount particularly when we came from the western western slope but how easy that was to adapt to it's not you don't need all the stuff in the world mm-hmm. right <laughs> kind of thing that was the part that that I thought was the most difficult and mm-hmm. as Jenny says it wasn't really all that difficult it just it's it's hard to get rid of some things that you become attached to and that's what we're going through now but it's when we get rid of them it's it's not a, a trauma or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's interesting. I think I may have already said this, but my, my son from Colorado Springs makes a scene every once in a while and takes stuff. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> come, you know, come on back and hear, what do you see here now that you want? But there's the things that he wants that I'm not ready to part with, too. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you think that it has helped you from a cognitive standpoint and a memory standpoint to be in a place where you feel settled and you feel good about where you are. So you don't really have to worry about some of the other ridiculous minutia things of, of uh, memory or anything like that. I mean, you've got less things that you have to have control over. Has that made a – I mean, what's that like? One of the things is I find that I have more time to do the sorts of – puzzles and things that, that I convince myself are going to help the situation. And so I have a routine in the morning of, of uh, a series of about five different puzzles I do every day. Nice. And uh, they're, they test different facets of memory. And uh, it's really it's, – I look forward to that every morning. Yeah. I think it's good to see other people who are in sort of the same situation you are. You know, it's right? nice to have a group of people who kind of, kind of are at that stage of their life and that kind of thing. And it's it it's nobody feels, you know, like everybody's not going to respond to them and that kind of thing. It's and but but that where we are, that's progressive. So I'm sure, you know, you can, you can go to assisted living and then beyond that too. Right. But where we are right now, it's just a nice neighborhood of. Older people. <laughs> well, you want. I want to tell you, the thing that I really enjoy about the two of you is that you live your life. You're happy. You're together. You are active. 
when when a lot of people get a diagnosis, they get down in the dumps. They feel like people around them are judging them. Um, they don't work with their family on you know, how the path is going to go. You two are just on a beautiful path. And I think when people do that, you can stave symptoms off for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think when you're more at ease with your life, you feel like the person next to you is supportive and, and helping you through everything. And you two are just a living example of you can find joy in every single day. This doesn't have to be a ridiculous, um, devastating diagnosis that you are Dave and Jenny. You are Dave and Jenny, the couple who has a lot of fun and enjoys walking and teaching others and, and nature and so on and so forth and make friends. And just I, I think that makes a huge difference. Do you agree? I agree. I think one of the things that has helped is, is both of us realize where we are. And so instead of being angry, which I've seen some people in this situation be at, right. at their at their person, right? Uh, we are able to say, well, that particular response or that particular action is the disease. It's not the person. The person is still the same one that you fell in love with. Yeah. And I'll try not to start crying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think also you could be very angry. Yeah. And I think my brother was. I think that he was. He was never not. He always was easily angered. But the point being that if you approach it and you're angry about it all the time, it just makes it's just going to make it worse. Right. That there's right. that you know, and it is, it is, I think, hard to realize this doesn't go away, and that mm -hmm. there's there are things you cannot do about it. You know, right. which for me, I always think, well, if that's a problem, I'll figure out how to to do it. You know, you right. know how to do it, and that this. That's not this way. You know, you well, being proactive and positive, you two are living proof that it works. Mm -hmm. It makes things better. And I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Well, I think you're inspirational. I love the two of you <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. And I would love to have you back on again uh, after you get in Dr. Potter's Leukine study mm -hmm. full-fledged and just see how that's working for you. Would you do that for me? Sure. sure. We'll tell you how spinal taps are. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this today because I think staying positive through it all is a good route to go. And you two are living examples of how it can work well. So thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. You bet. We'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.